My friend Brian became the minister of a small church in Southern California, and when he arrived, he discovered a, a group of people who focused on going to church rather than on being the church. And as a result, this congregation had some problems. There were very few people in that church who actually were, were friends with each other. And the church members didn't really love each other, so they didn't care for each other or support each other or serve each other. And in fact, just the opposite. Far too often there was gossip and backbiting. So as a pastor, how do you address that? Well, you could harangue people about that kind of behavior and make them feel guilty. Brian, however, chose a different path. He decided that the church needed a healthy dose of encouragement. Encouragement to embrace a whole new set of attitudes and actions. So he presented sermons on the importance of encouragement, and he modeled encouragement in his own life in different ways. For example, he went out of his way to care for the hurting in that church. When he became aware of sinful behavior, he confronted it as a coach rather than as a judge. And through things like that, over many, many months, he saw that congregation slowly become transformed into a caring community. And the people grew to love each other, so they, they encouraged each other in the ups and downs of living by faith, and they prayed for each other sincerely, and they served each other in practical ways. Brian was there for several years, and then he was called to a ministry in another state on the other side of the country, and he'd been there just a few weeks when he got a call one day from Susan, a sweet, sweet older woman in the church, and her husband was extremely ill. He was in the hospital, and she wanted Brian to know about that because she knew that Brian cared. So they talked for a while, and then Brian prayed for her, and then he said, oh, Susan, I wish I was there so I could give you a hug. And here's what Susan said in response. Brian, when you were here, you taught us so powerfully what, about what it means to be the family of God. And we learned the importance of encouraging each other. Yesterday, 15 people from our church stopped by the hospital to pray with me and my husband, to hug us, to encourage us, to let us know they care. They've been bringing meals by the house, and they've been driving me around to help me with my errands. A few years ago, before you became our pastor, that simply would not have happened. And so, Brian, in a very real sense, we have been hugged by you. Now, isn't that an awesome story? You see, encouragement is transforming. It has this ripple effect. And it becomes contagious as we spread it out from one to another. And here's a really, really important point. We often think of encouragement as verbal. Yet Brian's story shows us that encouragement is not just words, it's also actions, and that's what we find in Scripture. Through the example of a unique man named Barnabas. Barnabas shows us four different ways we can encourage each other through words and actions. And the first way is through incredible generosity. 
Let's take a look at Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Here we go now. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so here's this man whose given name is Joseph, and we meet him as someone who makes an incredibly generous gift by selling a piece of land, bringing the money in so that it can help support needy people in the church. And it's an example of encouragement through generosity. And I want us to understand that, but before we do, I want us to talk about this nickname of Barnabas. And I want you to bear with me a little bit as we dissect the etymology of that name because it reveals something profound about how the early church viewed the spiritual impact of encouragement. Now, the name Barnabas has two parts, Bar and Nabas. Bar means son of, so we would naturally think that Nabas means encouragement. But it doesn't. Not even close. Nabas comes from the word for prophet. Uh, not financial prophet. <laughs> the spiritual role of a prophet. So this name Barnabas literally means son of the prophet, but how did we get from son of the prophet to son of encouragement? Well, to start with, those words son of often are used to tell us that an expression is colloquial, not literal. And we understand that because we have several expre colloquial expressions in English that start with son of. <laughs> but most of them end with words you're not supposed to say in church. <laughs> in fact, words you probably shouldn't say anywhere. <laughs> So that son of tells us this is a colloquial, not literal expression. But then what about prophecy? Where does that figure in? Well, prophecy is when the Holy Spirit inspires someone to speak words from God on behalf of God to the people of God. And in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, the Apostle Paul tells us that pro the purpose of prophecy is to strengthen and, keyword, encourage the church. Prophecy is for encouragement. And so we put those two pieces together, and the result is this very distinctive colloquial expression, the son of encouragement. And here's the point. The apostles embraced this nickname because it conveys an incredibly powerful idea. When you are encouraging the church, you are expressing the heart of God just like a prophet. When you are encouraging the church, God is working through you to strengthen other believers just like a prophet. So encouragement is way more than just being nice. Nice. 
encouragement is deeply spiritual kingdom of God work. And what's so exciting is that anyone can do it. Not everyone can be a teacher or preacher. Not everyone can be an elder or ministry leader. Yet anyone in God's family can follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and encourage other believers. So we won't all be like Barnabas. But we all can have Barnabas moments. And there's some evidence that the early church used this colloquial expression to affirm people when they did have a Barnabas moment. Someone would perform an incredible act of encouragement and someone else would say, oh, thanks for being a son of encouragement. Thanks for being a daughter of encouragement. Thanks for being a Barnabas. Now, the man nicknamed Barnabas that we meet here in Acts is, is really rather special because encouragement is not just something he does. It's who he is. It is the most significant aspect of his character, and that's why his nickname becomes his name. Everybody knows this guy is Barnabas. Nobody calls him Joseph. That was his birth name, but he's Barnabas because encouragement is who he is. And here in this passage, we're introduced to him as he models encouragement through generosity. He sells this piece of property. He gives the entire proceeds to the church so that needy people can be blessed. And we need to understand that there are many people in the church doing that at that time. These were people of means, and when they gave these gifts, it was tremendously sacrificial because when you sold a land or a house, it usually was income-producing property. So you were selling an asset, making a one-time gift of the proceeds, and in many cases then losing the potential of future income. Now that's incredible generosity. And what an encouragement for people around to see believers who take their faith that seriously. Now, you and I all have money. I hope we choose to be generous with it. But in today's world, financial giving in the church typically is private, so we can't see the kind of generosity that Barnabas demonstrates. So we have many other ways that we can encourage each other by choosing to be visibly generous. And I saw an example of that yesterday as some three dozen Christians from two different churches gathered over at Ridgeview Elementary School as part of Project Hope. And we washed windows and we pulled weeds and we painted to help get the school ready for the new year. And it was so encouraging to be part of a group of believers giving generously of their time to bless the school. And the school principal was there with us the whole day. And let me tell you, he was incredibly encouraged by what he saw the Church of Jesus Christ do together. Generosity as an expression of our faith in Jesus always is encouraging to others. And this is how we first meet Barnabas in the book of Acts, encouraging the church to a moment of great generosity. And then as we move on in his story, we discover other ways that he finds to live out the ministry of encouragement. 
And in Acts chapter 9, we see him express encouragement through acceptance. And this story starts in verse 19 of Acts 9, shortly after the conversion of a man named Saul. Let's take a look. For some days he, Saul, was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Key words right here. But Barnabas... When Barnabas shows up, things change. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he'd seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he'd preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Now the followers of Jesus at this time have valid reasons to be suspicious of this guy named Saul because previously he had been a passionate Jew who was harassing and persecuting Christians as heretics. And so after his conversion to Christianity, when he first starts preaching in Damascus, most believers are going, uh, 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 uh. we don't trust this guy. The Jews don't much like him either because he's telling them that Jesus is the Messiah. So he leaves Damascus, he arrives in Jerusalem, which is the center of Christianity, and the situation is even worse for him there because that's where he had been living, actively, passionately persecuting Christians. And so here's this guy who used to be against Christianity, and he's now preaching about Jesus, and the Christians still go, uh-uh-uh-uh. We don't trust this guy. Barnabas, though, chooses a different path. He chooses the path of acceptance rather than suspicion. And why would he do that? The logical conclusion is that he doesn't worry about someone's past reputation if their present actions have changed. In other words, Barnabas must truly believe that faith in Jesus can transform people. Do you and I really believe that? Do we live as if that's true? Or do we hold on to suspicions about people based on their past? Barnabas believes that people who trust in Jesus can be changed by God. And so he accepts Saul's conversion as valid and accepts him as a fellow believer. And it takes tremendous courage for Barnabas to do this because he's a lone voice. He's willing to speak up for Saul when no one else will. Do you think that courageous act of encouragement 
mean something to Saul? Oh, I bet it does. But it not only encourages him, it encourages the other disciples to accept Saul. They don't trust Saul, but they trust Barnabas. And if Barnabas says Saul's good, it's okay. And because of that encouragement, then Saul is set free to boldly preach about Jesus. And because he'd been such a vocal opponent of Jesus' followers, for him now to affirm Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, as Lord, as Savior, would be, would be just shattering to people. And sincere people would wonder, how, how has this happened? What's really changed? What's going on in Saul's life? And so the church now has a new, vibrant witness to the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Yet God has so much more in store for Saul. The believing community changes his name from the Jewish Saul to the Greek Paul, and he becomes the messenger of Jesus to the Gentile world, and he leads many people to faith. He starts new churches, and he writes much of our New Testament. And it's so important for us to see what's happened here. God has used Barnabas' gift of encouragement to help set Saul loose for ministry as the Apostle Paul. You and I never will know what can happen when we encourage someone by accepting them in the name of Jesus and with the love of Jesus. And we can accept someone with a checkered past like Saul and believe that God truly has changed them. And you know what? We also can accept people who are not yet followers of Jesus and believe that God can change them. The wife, excuse me, the family of my wife, Julie, is a case in point. Her grandfather, very distinctive name, Ingebret Mickelson Brown. He immigrated to America from Norway at age 18. He had little education, he spoke little English, and he worked on a farm in Minnesota. And some other young men in that community befriended him, men who were followers of Jesus. And they did not treat Ingebret as an ignorant immigrant, as someone who was different and therefore should be ridiculed or shunned. Instead, they accepted him. They encouraged him. And over a couple of years, they led Julie's grandfather to faith in Jesus. And the results of that were profound. His life was changed. He went on to college, then went on to seminary and became a minister of the gospel. He pastored many churches and he became the founder and president of a Bible college which he ran for 25 years, mentoring and training hundreds of men and women for a life of Christian service. How does that kind of transformation happen? In this case, it happened because some young Christian people accepted Julie's grandfather. They accepted him for who he was and they encouraged him and they built a relationship and it enabled them to introduce him to Jesus. You and I can have an incredible impact when we practice encouragement through acceptance. That's what Barnabas did. And the world has never recovered from the impact of the Apostle Paul.
So now we've seen two ways that Barnabas models encouragement, through generosity and through acceptance. And now there's a third way, and we find it in Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 24. It's encouragement through exhortation. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyrus, Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. Hellenists are the Greeks, they're Gentiles. Spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, the grace of God that was bringing Jews and Gentiles to faith in Jesus. He was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Now Stephen, who was mentioned there in that passage, was the first Christian martyr. And after the Jews in Jerusalem stoned him to death, it seemed to light a fire in him and they started going after the other Christians with a vengeance. And so many believers had to flee Jerusalem for safety. And they scattered throughout the region. Here's what's powerful, though. Despite the fact that they've been uprooted from their homes and have their, had their lives turned upside down, they're obviously under incredible stress, yet they refuse to think only of themselves. Even in this season when their own material welfare is at risk, they're concerned for the spiritual welfare of others. So as they're traveling, as they're relocating, they're looking for opportunities to share their faith. And some of these Christians share with people of Jewish background, and some of them share with people of Gentile background. And many of these people from both of these different cultural groups turn to Jesus. What's the result? The church grows significantly. And very distinctively, it grows cross-culturally. A cross-cultural congregation, which is still something that's very new in the world. And that creates its own stresses and relational challenges. So who do the church leaders send to speak to this growing church full of Jews and Gentiles? They send Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Isn't that who you would want to show up when you're under stress? Somebody coming to encourage you? And in this case, how does Barnabas encourage them? He does it through exhortation, which is a specific form of encouragement. It's when we challenge people to keep going. We inspire them to press on. You know, when the going get tough, the tough get going. <laughs> but, but not with platitudes, with substance. So Barnabas, I'm sure, would turn to the Scriptures and remind them that God is with them in each and every situation. And as these Jews and Gentiles are trying to figure out how to do life together as fellow believers, I, I, I got to believe he would assure them that God can help them figure that out. That through Jesus, these people of dramatically different backgrounds can become united through Jesus Christ. Barnabas exhorts them. 
And whatever he says, his, his encouragement has a twofold impact. He strengthens these believers, and then in turn, more spiritually lost people become followers of Jesus. People outside the church see what's happening inside the church, and it's attractive, and they say, we want what they have. When we accept people as they are and exhort them to live by faith in Jesus, many people respond to that message. And it's just as true in our day as it was in the first century. So when you and I see people who are struggling or who are stressed, whether inside the church or outside the church, I think that's the time to step up like, like Barnabas and practice the ministry of encouragement through exhortation to inspire people to press on. And we can inspire believers to hold firmly on to Jesus regardless of what's happening. And we can find loving, appropriate ways to inspire unbelievers to take hold of Jesus for the very first time. Encouragement through exhortation, because exhortation is inspiring. Three different distinct ways that Barnabas lives and breathes encouragement. But perhaps the most important thing he does is he practices encouragement through forgiveness. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 40. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So at this time in church history, the apostles are giving select young men the equivalent of a ministry internship, and they do that by taking them along on missionary trips. What we see here in this passage is a story that's recorded elsewhere in Scripture. It's a summary of it. But on an earlier journey, John Mark had been selected to join Barnabas and Paul, but in the midst of their travels, he quit, gave up, and went home. He didn't follow through on his commitment. He proved himself to be unreliable and a failure. So now Paul says to Barnabas, hey, let's go back and visit some of these people that we preached to and visit some of these churches that we planted and see what's going on. And Barnabas says, great, let's take John Mark. <laughs> and Paul says, over my dead body. We don't know what he said, but they had a sharp disagreement. I, I picture Paul saying to Barnabas something like this. Are you kidding, Barnabas? Take John Mark, that kid's a quitter. He let us down before, he'll probably let us down again, so we need to pick somebody else. But you see, Barnabas, he knows that Jesus loves to give people a second chance. So he refuses to give up on Mark. 
And in fact, Barnabas feels so strongly about it that they have this huge argument and they can't resolve the matter, which means they will no longer work together as missionaries. In this moment, Barnabas chooses a different path than Paul. And he forgives John Mark for his previous failure. Now, if you were John Mark, wouldn't you find that act of forgiveness to be tremendously encouraging? Oh, I know I would. After a dramatic failure, I'd love to be given a second chance. And in the case of Mark, the effects of this second chance are huge. And not just for him, but also for the Apostle Paul. Let's take a quick look over at Timothy. 2 Timothy 4.11, this is Paul writing. He says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. Now those are incredible words for Paul to write. Paul is writing to his disciple Timothy, and he's telling him, hey, I want Mark here because he's helpful. But how did Mark become helpful to Paul? Paul's the one who wrote him off, said you're not worth a second chance. The logical inference is that what happens here is the result of Barnabas's encouragement through forgiveness. You see, because Barnabas gives John Mark a second chance, then he's got the opportunity to rebuild trust and prove that he's reliable. And he obviously makes the most of that opportunity, which means at a later point in life, Paul sees it and he's once again able to trust Mark. And they're able to build a relationship. And given what happened here, I wonder if at some point... Paul had to look Mark in the eye and say, you know, brother, I'm sorry. I was wrong about you. But however it happens, there's a relationship that's restored, and Mark becomes one of many faithful people who help Paul with his ministry while he's in prison. And Mark's ministry impact doesn't stop there. Over time, he becomes friends with other apostles, which means he learns the story of Jesus' life in great detail. And you know what Mark does with that information? He shares it with the world. He writes the book in our Bible that we call the Gospel of Mark which history tells us was the very first biography of Jesus to be written and circulated. Wow. How many lives have been changed? How many people have met Jesus or come to a greater knowledge of Jesus through the Gospel of Mark? And it happened because Barnabas encouraged Mark by forgiving him and offering him a second chance. Brothers and sisters, that is an incredible example for us. When people fail, let's not write them off. Let's forgive them. Because forgiveness is such a powerful way to encourage anyone who needs a second chance. I want to wrap all this up by telling you a story that was shared with me 
by a pastor in another state several years ago. It's a story that took place in his own congregation, so it's amazing, but it's true. And it's a story that shows us the breadth and the depth of the life-changing power of the ministry of encouragement. So there was a couple in that church, I'll call them the Smiths. They moved across town and moved into a new home, and within just a few days, they met their new next-door neighbors. And those next-door neighbors were a rather unusual couple. The husband was the manager of the local topless bar. The wife was the star performer. We'll call that couple the Joneses, the Smiths and the Joneses. Now, the Smiths were just average, middle-class church people. They'd never met anybody like that. They didn't know what to do with neighbors like that. And so they immediately prayed and said, God, what are we supposed to do? Their first instinct was to shun those people because they were living such a sordid lifestyle. But as they prayed, they got a very clear answer from God about what they should do, and it wasn't what they expected. And God essentially told them, you can love those people and encourage those people and yes, even accept those people without endorsing their lifestyle. Love them and encourage them and see what might happen. So the Smiths set out to treat the Joneses like any other neighbor. They invited them over for barbecue dinners at their house. They played backgammon and gin rummy with them. The Joneses, to be polite, said, hey, come over and have an evening with us at the club. <laughs> they politely declined that invitation. <laughs> but they did go out to dinner with them at a local cafe, and when some other church members saw them with that couple, there was a little bit of backlash. How can you eat with such overtly sinful people? The Smiths had a ready answer, because Jesus did, <laughs> because Jesus did. Over time, as this friendship grew, the Smiths found natural ways to talk about their faith, and they never pressed it, and they never condemned the Joneses. They just shared about who God was in their life. And over time, as this friendship grew and the Joneses watched how the Smiths lived out a very authentic and sincere faith, they got curious. And there was a time when it was right for the Smiths to say to the Joneses, hey, would you like to visit church? And they came. And there was a whole lot that they didn't understand, so they started asking questions, lots and lots and lots of questions. There were some great discussions, more visits to church. And then came that incredible day when this husband and wife repented of their sins and were baptized into Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But you know what? That was just the beginning of a really long road. Because without the church putting pressure on them, the Joneses realized, you know, we probably ought to get new occupations <laughs> if, if we're going to honor Jesus. But guess what? They had no other marketable skills. This is all they knew how to do. People in church stepped up and they were generous with their finances and they helped this husband and this wife get new training 
and find new jobs so that they could earn a living and care for themselves. That's pretty profound. So the Joneses, as new believers in Jesus, with new jobs, they stepped into a whole new way of life. But you know, sometimes the lure of the old life still is pretty strong. But they had become part of a loving church. And so whenever the Joneses felt that tug toward the old life, they would tell their new brothers and sisters in Christ and people in the church would exhort them and pray with them and inspire them to hold fast to Jesus and to never forget of his love and his forgiveness. And so what do we see in this story? We see encouragement through acceptance, encouragement through exhortation, encouragement through generosity, and encouragement through the forgiveness that only Jesus offers. And all of that encouragement was dramatically transforming. Fast forward 10 years from the point where the Joneses became followers of Jesus. 10 years on, Mr. Jones has become a respected ministry leader in the church and a mentor and disciple maker to young men, helping them how to learn as faithful followers of Jesus. And Mrs. Jones, the former topless dancer, she has become a woman of such purity and such godliness that she's heading up the women's ministry, helping women learn how to live as devoted followers of Jesus. Is that incredible or what? That story gives me goosebumps. And it all happened because the Smiths and their church followed in the footsteps of Barnabas. They embraced the character and the attitudes and the actions of our spiritual ancestor. And together they lived out what it means to be sons and daughters of encouragement. And the expression of that encouragement rescued a couple from a life of degradation and helped them find meaning and purpose as followers of Jesus. Oh, brothers and sisters, encouragement truly can be transforming. And so when we encounter fellow believers who are hurting or struggling or who have failed, I hope we will choose the path of Barnabas and find ways to encourage them as we interact with people who are far from God and need to be spiritually rescued, I hope we will choose the path of Barnabas and find ways to encourage them. Because encouragement reflects the heart of our great God. I pray that we will always remember that encouragement is way more than just being nice. Encouragement is deeply spiritual kingdom of God work. And when people are encouraged and they grab hold of Jesus and they refuse to let go of Jesus who knows how they might be changed by God. My prayer is that we individually and as a church always will strive to be sons and daughters of encouragement.
Please pray with me. Father God, I am so thankful for the rich example of Barnabas here in the Bible. Lord, we've seen these little little cameo appearances sort of in the the Bible, these little stories, these vignettes that show us how he encourages people in different ways. And I pray that these stories would be etched deeply into our minds and hearts so that our lives would reflect that same kind of character, the character of encouragement, encouragement that transforms men and women and builds the kingdom of God. And I pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.